0: Hey there, and welcome to the United Church Podcast. We are a new church here in Seattle committed to an ethic of love. We are striving to be a people united, united with Jesus, each other, ourselves, and the world around us. We hope you enjoyed this week's homily. And so this morning I wanted to pause again and allow that to just kind of sit heavy as well as kind of try and exhale some of that out. Not that it'll go away, not that it will be not present tomorrow or even the rest of the day, but that maybe in the midst of this morning we can find a space for some rest. Just just a little bit of space to allow some of that to shed away for just a moment. I've sat with women and men in the past that have been survivors of sexual assault. As I've listened to their stories and of their pain, and I know that the season that we are in right now is not only triggering a lot of that, that is not only bringing those stories up to the surface and, and, and increasingly creating more and more distress as people are reliving those traumas time and time again, but it's just difficult and hard, and it's things that we can't put into words. The other day, I ran across a prayer, a a, a litany of confession and of witness. And I want us to pray that together. It was written by a woman named Sharon. um, Stink, I can't remember her last name all of a sudden. Sharon Finema. And so I will be the voice, and if together we could be all. And Eve said, the serpent tricked me, and I ate. And Hannah said, no, sir, I am not crazy. I am a woman deeply troubled. I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. And Tamar said, no, do not force me to lie with you, for such a thing is wrong. Do not do anything so vile. Esther said, we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, to be annihilated. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For God has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me and holy is God's name. And the woman at the well said, come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. I think he may be the one, the Messiah we have been waiting for. And the hemorrhaging woman said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. And Anita said, it would have been more comfortable to remain silent, but when asked by a representative of this committee to report my experience, I felt that I had to tell the truth. I could not keep silent. And Christine said, I am here today not because I want to be, I am terrified. I am here because I believe it is my civic duty to tell you what happened to me. will we believe them? Jesus said to them, have you believed because you have seen? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Amen. Let's pray. Father, in this, the midst of pain and trauma, in the midst of heartache and hurt, in the midst of disbelief. Father, may you surround and comfort and give peace and mercy to strained hearts, to burdened minds, and to souls that ache. May you, Lord, be the God of comfort and the God of peace. And may we be a people that continue to believe and to trust our sisters and our brothers with their stories in such a way that is tender, that is loving. May we be your comfort as well. It's in your son's name that we pray all of these things. Amen. We're starting a new series today called, You Asked For It. And in the midst of this, there's questions that we as a community have submitted to say, these are some of the things that I am wrestling with. These are some of the things that I'm struggling with. These are some of the things that I would would just really love to know. And while I would love to be the great all-seeing answer man, person, (laughs) I'm not. (laughs) No one is. However, when we look at some of these questions, I want them to be something that we approach tenderly, that they're something that we approach with great love, with great respect, with great care, because these are questions that at some point are piercing us and have pierced us and continue to wrestle with time and time again. And today our question is, how do you know if God is speaking to you? Oftentimes, we find ourselves in such a a space of silence, of wondering, is God really talking to me? Is he really saying anything? Because right now, all I am hearing is silence. Right right now, all I'm hearing is nothingness. All all that I have right now is a blank slate. And man, I've got to believe that God's trying to say something, right? Right? Isn't he always talking? Isn't he always present? Isn't he a loving God that wants us to know what is on his mind and what we should do as a result? It was probably about 10 or 11 years ago that I was sitting on my day off in my apartment, probably binge-watching The Sopranos, because this was back when Netflix just sent you DVDs. I... (laughs) Do you remember such a day? (laughs) And I would get the Sopranos DVD in the mail and wait until my day off, and then it was like binge watch all day, the entire season, or at least as much of it as possible. And I remember that that's what I was doing because the phone call that kind of changed some things for me, that really startled me and kind of pushed me in a really weird and awkward direction came. And it was my mom and called and said, I don't know what's wrong with your dad, but we're taking him to the emergency room and there's something we just don't know what's wrong, but it's his heart and there's something. And I was like, mom, that's not enough information. Like at this point, they were three and a half hours, four and a half hours south of where we were living. And I was like, mom, that is just not enough. That's not fair. You can't do this. And I begin to accuse my mother of not having enough information about what was going on with my dad. And I remember turning off the television and sitting in our large chair up against the wall and I sat there and I curled up and I became extremely numb as I just stared into the window across the way, completely confused by what was happening. And I remember sitting there and wondering, what on earth do I do now? Do I get in the car? Do I travel all the way down there just to see what's going on? Or what do I do? The only thing I could think to do was to actually pray. Was to just sit there in that moment and begin to pray. And I will never forget this prayer because it's the first time that I have ever wept deeply in prayer. To where the words could not quite form in my mouth and come out. It was, it was a, a tearless cry, and I'm sure an ugly cry <laughs> at the same time. But it was a tearless cry to where all I could do was to begin to cry out, God, I'm not ready to lose my dad. I don't know what's going on here, but God, do something. God, where are you? What is happening here? Give me something. Give me some answers. And all I could do was get those words out over and over and over and over again until I finally stopped and I heard nothing. I didn't feel any sense of comfort, I didn't feel any sense of love. I got up off that chair and I ran down the hallway into our bedroom and I buried my face in the pillow and I began to scream as loud as I could into that pillow. I don't want to startle the neighbors in the middle of the afternoon, but I screamed and I screamed and I screamed, Where are you, God? Not sure if you've been there, but I would garner to say that the majority of us have. Whether it's the painful cry of, of a hurt and broken heart or whether it's the inquisitive scream of where are you at right now, God? I am so angry at you. How could you let this happen to me? How could you let that happen to her? How could you, a loving and merciful God, let this thing be reality? I think a lot of us have probably had those moments where God, where we've had this all-out scream fest, this all-out painful Primal urge to just scream and cry and yell it all out into the pillow, only to be met with a silence and with a void and wonder. Is God still speaking today? Is God still here in the midst of all of this? I love Lily Tomlin, she's pretty funny. She said, why is it that when we speak to God, we are said to be praying, but when God speaks to us, we're said to be schizophrenic? A few years ago, when those Bluetooth devices that you would put around your ears, before like the AirPods and all that stuff, but it was only on one side, and it was just kind of like really small and really short, and you'd walk around the streets and you'd see people talking to yourself, you'd play this game, crazy or Bluetooth, right? Right? But you would wonder, is that person crazy? Have they lost their mind? I know they're in business wear, but are they crazy? <laughs> or is that a Bluetooth thing they're talking to? It's a little harder to do now because AirPods are very white and they're on both sides of the face, so you can quite easily see that someone is talking to someone on the phone, or so you think. But whenever it is that we speak like this, whenever we pray, Whenever we talk out, whenever we allow God into the space of what it is that we're dealing with, we feel like he never quite responds to us. And if he does, if we do hear something, we wonder, have I lost my mind? Am I crazy? Is that what I just heard? Is is that really God's voice? Is that really There? How do I discern? How do I figure out one side or the other? Either I'm crazy or that's God. In Lily Tomlin's words, am I am I crazy or (laughs) am I schizophrenic? Or is God actually praying? Or am I praying to God? There's a story in the Bible in 1 Kings chapter 19. You see, this question, how do I know if God is still speaking to me, has probably 50 different avenues, 50 different ways, if not more, that each of us connect to this based upon our own story, based upon where it is that we've been at with this God, based on where it is that we seem to interact and try and understand who he is. There's so many different connection points, and I think this story in First Kings chapter 19 gets at a lot of those. I'm not sure it gets to all of them, but I think it gets to a lot of them. And this is a story of Elijah, now Elijah had been a prophet within the land of Israel for just a short amount of time. I mean, he hadn't been a prophet for like this, this large, grand amount of time, but what a prophet did was they kind of spoke to people in power about what God wanted them to do. They spoke truth to power. That was kind of a prophet in the biblical sense, in this Old Testament time. And Elijah was speaking truth to power as he was talking to King Ahab, who had been this pretty evil man, and uh, his his wife, Jezebel, who had also been, like, the, the her goal was to kind of shift Israel towards her ideal and away from what God wanted Israel to be. And so she had kind of pushed and kind of cajoled Ahab to do all of these other sorts of things, and Elijah was there to speak truth to power. He was speaking to Ahab to say, no, 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 this is who God is. And he does this really amazing, remarkable thing where he kind of challenges the prophets of, of Baal. The, the, the prophets who, who Jezebel had said, these are really the people that speak for God. These are the people we need to listen to. These are the people that we need to trust. And so, so Elijah said, okay, let's play a game. It's going to be awesome. Okay, so this is in chapter 18. He says, this is what we're going to do. I want you to, to kill and prepare a fatted calf, and you're going to put it on top of an altar, and you're going to di- just put it on top of this altar that you build, and you're going to call down from heaven fire, that your God will then sacrifice this, this calf to itself by fire. And it'll just happen, right? And so they were like, absolutely, let's do this, game on, right? They were like, we got this. And so the, the, the prophets of Baal, they do this, they build it, and this is, this is so awesome. They called on the name of Baal from morning till noon, this is in chapter 18. Baal, answer us, they shouted, but there was no response. No one answered. Answered and they danced around the altar they had made. Can you just imagine like this this like altar? It's it's probably pretty big because cows make lots of meat, right? Like that's a lot of meat. If you've ever walked into a meat freezer with like just one cow, you're like, holy cow, that's a lot of meat. Well, they prepared the thing, right? So they're like chopping this sucker up all day and all night, and they put it on top of this altar. And so, like, you can just imagine this altar is just gigantic. And so you've got these prophets of Baal just kind of dancing around. Hey, listen to us, listen to us. This is the jig they're dancing, I promise. It's right there in between the lines of the text. At noon, okay, so they started this from morning until noon. So from sunrise until noon. So we're talking like, not Seattle sunrise, okay, that like in the dead of winter, but maybe Seattle sunrise at like, Six in the morning, right? Okay, so like six to noon. So like six hours of calling down fire. At noon, Elijah, this is so funny, okay? Who says scripture doesn't have a sense of humor? Because this is funny. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, (laughs) he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. Is that not funny? That's hysterical. Shout louder! Maybe he's traveling! Right? As as these guys are dancing around, like, you just see him getting a little bit more angry, a little bit more mad, a little bit more frustrated with this Elijah who's taunting them. We have no idea how long he taunted them for. Right? He could have been that guy right? <laughs> that guy that just won't shut up. And it frustrates the tar out of you. You can just see your blood begin to boil in anger as he dances, as, as these guys dance around and he's just yelling at them. So they shouted louder and they slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until their blood flowed. Like, they were so heavy in the belief that Baal was God, that Baal was going to allow this fire to fall down from heaven and incinerate this offering, that they began to slash themselves and cut themselves and allow this blood to flow. That's the amount of belief that they had in this God. They gave up. They gave up. And Elijah said, all right, my turn. He builds the altar, and then he says, "Hey, help me!" So he's got people with him. He's like, he's got his peeps. He's like, "Hey, psst, help me out." They begin to dig a trench around the outside of the altar. So you know where the guys were dancing before, right? Like, they're, he's digging a trench around like this path where they had been dancing, right? But their own sort of like on his own altar, like the same sort of thing. And then he says, "Okay." I want you to help me get some water. He got buckets and buckets and buckets of water and began to douse the altar and fill this moat around the altar. So not only has he doused the altar, but he's dousing the meat. That's one sure way to ruin a steak. Do not soak it in water. If you've ever wondered, don't. But that's what he does. He's dumping water upon water upon water on this entire thing. And then he calls down from heaven and it's up in smoke. It's there. It's gone, incinerated. Elijah has won the day and says, my God is here. My God is present. My God listens when we call and he responds. But then chapter 19 happens. This Elijah, who has been like on this like literal mountaintop experience, where he's like, Yeah, my God is awesome, right? Like, he's got that's my best New York accent, sorry. Because I see Elijah's being New York at that point with all that gusto and like, Yeah, we got this, right? Like, he's so excited. He is on the pinnacle of everything. Then he gets threatened. Jezebel says, oh, it's on. I have an army, I have people at my command, and you, Elijah, are as good as dead. Have fun with that. And Elijah bails. He's like, oh, snap, I'm out. And he runs, he sprints, and he wanders his way through the desert as he flees and flees and flees and just runs and gets away and he hides. And he says, God, where are you? Why would you allow my life to be put at such risk? Why would you allow me to experience such pain and such heartache and such turmoil? God, where are you in this and where is that protection that you have promised me? Where are you? Because I'm not sure that you're still talking to me. You're only interested, God, in talking to me when it puts you on display. You only responded when fire came out and incinerated the thing and proved that you actually talked to me. But now that it's just the two of us, now that it's just you and me out here in the midst of this wilderness, where are you? Because you're gone. Let's talk, huh? And so in chapter 19, Elijah has completely fled and he, he hangs out in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. And in the midst of this season, in the midst of this 40 days and 40 nights, what's really fascinating is God provides food for him for 40 days and 40 nights. Provides day in and day out, a daily allowance of food, and yet Elijah is still there wondering, where are you, God? His vision has been cut off. His eyes have become blind to the work of God around him in this space. And then he went into a cave. He went to a cave to spend the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. And I have remained alone, and they seek my life to take it. God, I have done all of these things for you, I have listened you, I have listened to you, but here I have remained alone. This translation right here is the Jewish Bible Society's translation of the Hebrew. I think it's a little bit more accurate at what's going on here. So if you're looking at the Yenavi or anything else, I think this is a little bit more accurate. I have remained alone. I am alone, God. Where are you? When I screamed into the pillow, I didn't scream niceties. I didn't didn't scream (laughs) non-profanities. I let loose on God. I think this is a little cleaned up for what Elijah was probably saying to God. I have done all of these things. I've been zealous for you. I have, I have been there when no one else was. I stood up for you. I stood up to power. I spoke truth to power. And here I am in this space, and you won't even talk to me. I am all alone. And these people are coming to kill me? And you're not doing a thing about it. What is going on? I can't imagine Elijah said that in a PG-13 voice. And the, then God said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Here's what's great. God responds, like in this way, that whether this is an audible conversation or it's something that Elijah just kind of sensed and heard in his spirit, go stand out there because the Lord is about to pass by. He's still frustrated at this moment. So he goes out there and he stands and then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. He stands out there and all of a sudden he is waiting for God to show up, to say what it is that he needed him to say in that moment, whatever it was, but he wasn't there. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. Earthquakes can last a while, right? They can last about a minute, right? So like, here he is standing on the, at the mouth of this cave on a cliff, and the earth around him is shaking as he's waiting for this God to be present, to show himself, to reveal himself there, and he's not there. He's not in the wind. He's not in the earthquake. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied the exact same way. I've been very zealous for you, God. The Israelites have rejected you, torn down their altars, and put the prophets to death with the sword. And I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. When God finally shows up in the way that he doesn't necessarily expect, but is there and present, he responds in the exact same way. Elliot is a fascinating child. Just like every child is. She's six. The other day we were sitting on the couch. She was mad. I mean, she was, she was mad. She was not having anything. I couldn't get her to calm down for anything. I mean, she was so mad that her face was turning red. She was so mad as she just screamed at me and screamed at me and screamed at me. I didn't return with a scream. I, I didn't return with a giant wind. Right? I didn't return by shaking her and saying, Elliot, shut up! I didn't respond with an earthquake. I responded with a gentle whisper. Honey, it's okay. I love you. It's okay. Elliot, I love you. Hey, it's okay listen, just for a second, let's have a conversation about this. That was my response. And it took a good five, six, seven minutes before before the silence allowed her, like, like the quiet voice was allowed to penetrate through the noise of her life. I think this is what happens with us. We get so angry and so frustrated with God that we scream or there's so much noise that is surrounding us and pushing through that we're caught in this cacophony, this instrumentation of life that continues to surround us and pour over us and pour through us that we don't hear the still, small voice of God poking through, waiting to be heard. Dallas Willard said this in his book, Hearing God. He said, if you find yourself in a position where you can honestly say, God has never spoken to me, then you might ask yourself, why should God speak to me? What am I doing in life that would make speaking to me a reasonable thing for him to do? Are we in business together in life? Or am I in business just for myself trying to use a little God to advance my projects? It feels really harsh (laughs) from a very pastoral man. It feels a little harsh. But I think sometimes when we pray, sometimes when we call out for God's voice in our life, we're asking for a genie God. You just rub them the right way, and you get three wishes, and God will answer, and He'll give you whatever you want, whatever you need. But in this, Willard is saying, what is your position and your relationship to God? Are you actually in a space and in a place where you can actually begin to hear His still, gentle voice piercing through the chaos and the noise of life? You see, God is still speaking. He has not stopped. He has never stopped speaking to us. And the reason why is because he loves us. The best thing in 1 Kings 19, the story of Elijah, the best thing about it, not just that it's a whisper, but when someone whispers to you, they're close. They're right there next to you. They're not across a room whispering. They're not screaming at you from across the room. They're right next to you. I'm here. I love you. We've got this. I'm here. I love you. We've got this. That not only is God still speaking to us, but that he is right next to us. That he has never left our side. That he is as close as he possibly can be. But the noise and the cacophony of instrumentation of life continues to surround us, and it's so loud sometimes that we just can't hear it, that there is a wall of noise between us and God. And that wall of noise may not necessarily be audible. It may not necessarily be actual sound, but it can be the voices of other people ringing around in our heads that they've told us, you're not good enough, you don't look the right way, You can't do these things. You're not really all that worthy. You're a terrible individual and human being. And we allow those sounds to ring around our heads, and we can't hear the voice of God that says, no, 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 that's just not true. That's just not true. We have cell phones and all sorts of connectivity to... So much information and so many opinions and so many voices that come in all the time. Perhaps one of the greatest things that Apple has done recently with the iPhone and the new OS is that thing called screen time where you begin to see how often you have been on your phone and when you click on it, you click on the social media or social networking tab, whatever it is, and you see, oh snap, I average four hours a day on Facebook on my phone. What? Right? Like, it's kind of beautiful. But that's the noise that we're allowing to crowd in and not allowing to hear the still, soft voice of God whisper through and break through in the midst of all of the noise. God is still speaking. And he wants us to hear him. Meister Eckhart is a Dominican friar from, you know, way back in the day. And he says, expect God evenly in all things. Expect him evenly. He's always the same. Expect him evenly in every situation. That he is not going to respond differently other than love. If love is the operating principle of God, if God is love, then every single response to you will always be out of love. Expect expect God evenly in all things and in all places because this is who our God is. We have to find the quiet. We have to find the spaces where we can then begin to listen and hear from God. How do I know if God is still speaking to me? The answer is simple. He is. God is still speaking. He has not stopped. The question behind the question is how do I then hear God? How do I find myself in those quiet spaces and places where his whisper can begin to shine through? What does that mean? What does it mean for us to find ourselves in a new space, in a new place that separates us from the noise to then hear from this God? How do I hear from God? That is the question that I leave with you. How do you hear from God? How do you find yourself in a quiet space? And for just a moment, in all of the screaming, and all of the crying, in just a moment, allow that still, soft voice to pierce through. I can give you a litany of ways to do it. A, a litany of ways, but it's just things that I've experienced. Just ways in which I have found the still, soft voice of God. It's, it's walking prayer labyrinths. There's a new one up at St. Mark's over in Capitol Hill, and it's an outdoor prayer labyrinth. It's just walking. Trevor's talked about body prayer before here, as well as in other spaces, but it's body prayer, allowing ourselves to, to sit in the moment and quiet ourselves so that we can hear from God. That there are a litany of ways that we can silence ourselves and quiet ourselves. So I leave that question with you. Because when we as a people begin to hear from God regularly, when we as a body of believers begin to hear this voice of God speaking in and cutting through the noise of our lives, when we actually step away for just a moment to hear from God, beautiful things begin to bloom. Beautiful things begin to happen all around us. Henry David Thoreau put it this way. I don't think he was really talking about God. Maybe he was. He said, Why should we be in such desperate haste to succeed and in such desperate enterprises? If a man does not keep pace with his companions, perhaps it is because he hears a different drummer. Let him step to the music which he hears, however measured or far away. We, as Christians we as followers of Jesus march to a different drummer. It sounds a little bit different than the the pace or the drumbeat of the world. We march to a different drummer. Let us listen and let us hear what that means and what that sounds like in our lives. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your Son. And we thank you for this word, and we thank you for the stories that you continue to shine down upon us and allow us to wrestle with and struggle with and questions about what it means. God, we know that you are still speaking. Deep in our soul, deep in our heart, we know that you're still speaking to us, but allow us to find the spaces and the places and the times of quiet to hear what it is that you're saying. Whatever questions, whatever heartbreaks, whatever, whatever thoughts that we have, Father, may we find ourselves in a space of listening to hear well what you are saying. It's in your Son's name that we pray these things. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's homily. If you're in Seattle, we'd love for you to join us on Sundays at noon at 1316 3rd Avenue West in Queen Anne. If you'd like to support our efforts, please visit unitedchurch.gives to partner with us financially. Be in peace and God bless.